Meeting Jack Robinson, you wonder about his seriousness. In his last official filing with the Federal Election Commission, his campaign war chest had $613 in it. As compared with his opponents, $3.7 million. He has yet to articulate any policy positions he seems truly impassioned about. And when I visited his campaign headquarters, there were no signs in the windows, no campaign posters out front, nothing that would let anybody know that anybody was running for anything. Act 2. Sonny takes a fall. It turns out that if both sides in a political fight start throwing mud at each other, contrary to you, what you might think, it can definitely benefit one side more than the other. In a sense, this is the scenario that decided this year's Republican nomination for president. David Foster Wallace happened to be reporting on the South Carolina primaries on the campaign of John McCain when he got a chance to see this happen firsthand. Even the network techs, who are practically Zen masters at waiting around and killing time, are bored out of their minds today. The way the techs handle deep boredom is to become extremely sluggish and torpid so that lined up on the makeshift ottoman they look like an exhibit of lizards whose rock isn't hot enough. Nobody reads. Pulse rates are maybe about 40. The ABC cameraman lets his eyes almost close and naps in an unrestful way. The CBS and CNN techs who like cards today are not even bothering to play cards but are instead describing memorable card games they've been in in the past. Outside the Riverfront Hotel's side door, where it's so cold and windy you have to smoke with mittens on, Jim C. and his partner Frank C., no relation, engage in some off-the-record discourse about the Twelve Monkeys. This is the tech's private code name for the most elite and least popular pencils in the McCain press corps. The Twelve Monkeys are a dozen marquee journalists and political analysis guys from the really important papers and weeklies and news services and tend to be so totally identical in dress and demeanor as to be almost literally surreal. Twelve immaculate and wrinkle-free navy blue blazers, half-windsored ties, pleated chinos, Oxford cloth shirts that even when the jackets come off stay 100% buttoned at collar and sleeves, Cole Hahn loafers, and tortoiseshell specks they love to take off and nibble the arm of, plus always a uniform self-seriousness that reminds you of every overachieving dweeb you ever wanted to kick the ass of in school. The techs avoid and try to pretty much ignore the 12 monkeys, who in turn treat the techs the way someone in an executive washroom treats the attendant. On return from the smoke break, we pass through a huge, empty lobby-like space. It takes a long time to traverse this area, a hundred yards of nothing but flagstone walls and plaques with the sad, pretentious names of the Riverfront Hotel's banquet halls and conference rooms, the Oak Room, the Windsor Room. But now out here are also half a dozen different members of the campaign press, each 50 feet away from any of the others, for privacy, and all walking in idle little counterclockwise circles with a cell phone to their ear. These little orbits are the cellular waltz, which is probably the digital equivalent of doodling or picking at yourself as you talk in a regular landline. There's something oddly lovely about the waltz's different circles here, which are of various diameters and stride lengths and rates of rotation, but are all identically counterclockwise and telephonic. We three slow down a bit to watch. You couldn't not. 
From above, like if there were a mezzanine, the waltzes would look like the cogs of some strange, diffuse machine. Frank C. says he can tell by their faces something's up. Jim C. says what's interesting is that media south of the equator do the exact same cellular waltz, but that down there all their circles are reversed. And it turns out Frank C. was right as usual, that the reason press are dashing out and waltzing urgently in the lobby is that word has apparently started to spread that Mr. Mike Murphy of the McCain 2000 High Command is coming down to do a surprise impromptu press avail regarding a fresh two-page press release, still slightly warm from the Xerox, which two press liaisons are passing out even now, and of which the first page has, in bold caps, Bush campaign caught red-handed with negative ads unethical push-polling. This document is unusual not only because McCain 2000's press releases are normally studies in bland irrelevance. McCain to continue campaigning in Michigan today. McCain has two helpings of potato salad at South Carolina VFW picnic. But also because no less a personage than Mr. Mike Murphy has indeed now just come down to spin this abrupt change of tone in the campaign's rhetoric. Murphy, who is only 37 but seems older, is the McCain campaign's senior strategist, a professional political consultant who's already had 18 winning Senate and gubernatorial campaigns. He's a short, bottom-heavy man, pale in a kind of yeasty way, with baby-fine red hair on a large head and sleepy turtle eyes behind the same sort of intentionally nerdy horn rims that a lot of musicians and college kids now wear. Among political pros, Murphy has the reputation of being, one, smart and funny as hell, and two, a real attack dog, working for clients like Oliver North, New Jersey's Christine Todd Whitman, and Michigan's own John Engler in campaigns that were absolute operas of nastiness. He's leaning back against the file and feed room's wall and is surrounded in a 180-degree arc by the 12 monkeys, all of whom have steno notebooks or tiny professional tape recorders out and keep clearing their throats and pushing their glasses up with excitement. Murphy says he's, quote, just swung by to provide the press corps with some context on the strident press release and to give the corps advance notice that the McCain campaign is also preparing a special response ad which will start airing in South Carolina tomorrow. Murphy uses the words response or response ad nine times in two minutes and when one of the monkeys interrupts to ask whether it would be fair to characterize this new ad as negative Murphy gives him a long, styptic look and spells out very slowly R-E-S-P-O-N-S-E. He says that the press release and new ad reflect the McCain 2000 campaign's decision, after much agonizing, to respond to what he says is G.W. Bush's welching on the two candidates' public handshake agreement in January to run a bilaterally positive campaign. For the past five days, mostly in New York and South Carolina, the shrub has apparently been running ads that characterize McCain's policy proposals in what Murphy terms a willfully distorting way. Plus there's the push polling, a practice which is regarded as the absolute bottom feeder of sleazy campaign tactics. But the worst, the most obviously unacceptable, Murphy emphasizes, was the shrub standing up at a podium in South Carolina a couple days ago 
with a wild-eyed and apparently notorious fringe veteran who publicly accused McCain of, quote, abandoning his fellow veterans after returning from Vietnam, which, Murphy says, even without going into McCain's well-documented personal bio and heroic legislative efforts on behalf of vets for nearly 20 years, is just so clearly over the line of even minimal personal decency and honor that it pretty much necessitates some sort of response. The 12 monkeys, who are old pros at this sort of exchange, keep trying to steer Murphy away from what the shrub's done and get him to give a quotable explanation of why McCain himself has decided to run this response ad, a transcript of which the harried press liaisons are now distributing from a fresh copier box and which reads, in part, I guess it was bound to happen. Governor Bush's campaign is getting desperate with a negative ad about me. His ad twists the truth like Clinton. We're all pretty tired of that. The 12 monkeys now point out that, in particular, the twist the truth like Clinton bit seems negative indeed, since in the year 2000, comparing a GOP candidate to Bill Clinton is roughly equivalent to claiming that he wears ladies' underwear while presiding over satanic masses. While checking their prolix equipment and getting ready to board the press bus for McCain's next stop, the GOP Lincoln Day dinner in Saginaw, the network techs listen to this reporter's summary of the press release and Murphy's comments and confirm that the shrub has indeed gone negative. Be advised that these network camera and sound guys, who all have worked countless campaigns and who have neither the raging egos of journalists nor the self-interested agenda of the McCain 2000 staff to muddy their perspective, turn out to be way more acute and sensible political analysts than anyone you'll read or see on TV, and their assessment of today's negativity developments is so extraordinarily nuanced and sophisticated that only a small portion of it can be ripped off and summarized here. And the techs now kill the last of the time in the riverfront by coolly analyzing Bush's negativity and McCain's response from a tactical point of view. Going negative is risky. Countless polls have shown that voters find negativity distasteful in the extreme, and if a candidate is perceived as going negative, it usually costs him. But of course, G.W. Bush is a creature of his campaign advisors, and these advisors are the best that $70 million and the full faith and credit of the GOP establishment can buy. And if Bush 2000 has gone negative, there must be solid political logic behind the move. Under the text lens, this logic turns out to be indeed solid, even brilliant. The shrub's attack leaves McCain with two options. If he chooses not to retaliate, some South Carolina voters will credit McCain for taking the high road. But it could also come off as wimpy and might compromise McCain's image as a tough, take-no-shit guy with the balls to take on the Washington kleptocracy. So McCain pretty much has to strike back, the techs agree. But this is extremely dangerous, for by retaliating negatively, McCain runs the risk of looking like just another ambitious, win-at-any-cost politician, when after all, so much time and effort and money has gone into casting him as the opposite of that. Plus, the CBS cameraman points out that an even bigger reason why McCain can't afford to let the shrub, quote, pull him down to his level, is that if Bush then turns around and retaliates against the retaliation, and so then McCain has to re-retaliate against Bush's retaliation, and so on, 
then the whole GOP race could quickly degenerate into just the sort of boring, depressing, cynical charge and countercharge contest that turns voters off and keeps them away from the polls. And the other techs agree that the really important tactical point here is that John S. McCain cannot afford to have voters get turned off, since after all his whole strategy is based on exciting people and inspiring them and pulling more voters in, especially people who'd stopped voting because they'd gotten so disgusted and bored with all the negativity and bullshit of politics. In other words, this reporter proposes to the techs, it's maybe actually in the shrub's own political self-interest to let the GOP primary race get ugly and negative and have voters get so bored and cynical and disgusted with the whole thing that they don't even bother to vote. Well, no shit, Sherlock H., the ABC techs in essence respond. Good old Frank C. then explaining more patiently that, yes, if there's a low voter turnout, then the majority of the people who get off their ass and do vote will be the diehard Republicans meaning the Christian right and the party faithful. And these are the groups that vote as they're told, the ones controlled by the GOP establishment, an establishment that's got $70 million and 100% of its own credibility invested in the shrub. CNN's Mark A. posits that this also explains why the amazingly lifelike Al Gore over in the Democratic race has been so relentlessly negative and depressing in his attacks on Bill Bradley. Since Gore, like the shrub, has his party's establishment behind him, with all its organization and money and the diehards who fall into line and vote as they're told, it's in Big Al's interest to draw as few voters as possible into the Democratic primaries, because the lower the overall turnout, the more the establishment voters' ballots actually count. Which fact then in turn, the CBS cameraman says, helps explain why, even though our elected representatives are always wringing their hands and making concerned noises about low voter turnouts, nothing substantive ever gets done to make politics less ugly or depressing and to actually induce more people to vote. Our elected representatives are incumbents, and low turnouts favor incumbents for the same reason soft money does. By this time, the techs are on the press bus, and since it's only a 10-minute ride to the Saginaw GOP dinner, they have their cameras down and boom sticks retracted, but all their gear still strapped on, which forces them to sit up uncomfortably straight and wince at bumps, and in the bus's mirrored ceiling, they look even more like sci-fi combat troops on their way to some alien beachhead. In their opinion, tomorrow's response ad is not a promising start for McCain, especially the twist-the-truth-like-Clinton line that the 12 monkeys jumped on Murphy for. This line's too mean. It does not sound high-road. It sounds pissed off, aggressive. And it will allow Bush to do a react and now say that it's McCain who's violated the handshake agreement, which the techs say will, of course, be bullshit, but that it might be effective bullshit, and that it's McCain's aggressive ad that's giving the shrub the opening to do it. The tech's basic analysis of the motivation behind the ad's twist the truth like Clinton line is that McCain is genuinely, personally pissed off at the shrub and that he has taken Mike Murphy's leash off and let Murphy do what Murphy does best, which is gutter fight. McCain, after all, is known for having a temper 
and Jim C. thinks that maybe the truly ingenious thing the shrub strategist did was to find a way to genuinely piss McCain off and make him want to go negative, even though his staff had to have warned him that this was playing right into Bush's strategist's hands. Jim's analysis suddenly reminds this reporter of the thing in The Godfather, where Sonny Corleone's fatal flaw is his temper, which Barzini and Tatalia exploit by getting Carlo to beat up Connie and make Sonny so insanely angry that he drives off to kill Carlo and gets assassinated in Barzini's ambush at that toll booth on the Richmond Parkway. And a taciturn but cinephilic CNN cameraman speculates that the Bush campaign's brain trust may actually have based their whole negative strategy on Barzini's ingenious ploy in The Godfather. Whereupon Frank C. observes that Bush's equivalent to slapping Connie Corleone around was standing up with the wacko vet who claimed that McCain dissed his Vietnam comrades, which at first might have looked stupid and unnecessarily nasty of Bush, but from another perspective might be sheer genius if it made McCain so angry that his desire to retaliate outweighed his political judgment. Because, Frank C. warns, just watch, this retaliation and Bush's response to it and McCain's response to Bush's response, this will be all that the 12 monkeys and the rest of the press corps are interested in. And if McCain lets things get too ugly, he won't be able to get anybody to pay attention to anything else. And sure enough, events of the next few days bear out the text analysis pretty much 100%. On Tuesday morning, on the Radisson's TV in North Savannah, South Carolina, both Today and Good Morning America lead with The GOP campaign takes an ugly turn and show the part of McCain's new ad where he says, Twist the truth like Clinton. And sure enough, by midday, the shrub has put out a react where he accuses John S. McCain of violating the handshake agreement and going negative and adds that he, the shrub, is personally offended and outraged at being compared to W.J. Clinton. And by Wednesday night, focus polls are showing that South Carolina voters are finding McCain's ad negative and depressing. And the next couple days, polls then have both McCain's support and the primary's projected voter turnout falling like a rock and the daily press are having to churn out piece after piece about all the endless picayune charges and countercharges, and everyone on the bus is starting to get severely dispirited and bored, and even the twelve monkey strides have lost a certain smug spring. And McCain not only, of course, loses South Carolina, but then a couple weeks later, the whole Carlo and Sonny scenario plays out again on Super Tuesday, only bigger this time, with McCain lashing angrily out at the Christian right and calling Robertson and Falwell agents of intolerance and basically alienating the whole GOP's diehard right wing. And why? Because some person or persons unknown had gotten Falwell and Robertson to tape certain anti-McCain remarks and disseminate them via automated phone call to registered voters in key states. Remarks so off-the-charts mean and distorted that they piss McCain off enough that he goes on TV and gives the Christian right the public finger, while Murphy and the McCain 2000 High Command doubtless stand there and bite their wrists in frustration, practically seeing McCain's glossy coupe pull angrily up to that toll booth. David Foster Wallace is the author of several books, including Brief Interviews with Hideous Men. This was an edited excerpt of a story that first appeared in Rolling Stone magazine. Coming up, 
How to Run a Smear Campaign in Junior High School. 